From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this Monday, April 25th edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments this morning in a major religious liberty case, the case of former assistant football coach Joe Kennedy. He goes to the 50-yard line, he kneels down, and he prays. He doesn't invite anybody to go with him, but he also doesn't tell people who are also permitted on the field to go away. And all of this is visible to people in the stands. Is that a violation of the – can he be fired for engaging in that, those activities? That was Justice Samuel Ito questioning the attorney representing the school district from Birmingham, Washington. We'll get an update from the Supreme Court from FRC's Mary Sock in a moment. And then later I'll talk with a member of Coach Kennedy's legal team, First Liberty's Mike Berry, when he joins me here in studio. And continued chaos at the southern border. The body of Bishop Evans, a member of the Texas National Guard, was recovered today after he apparently drowned when he attempted to rescue two illegal aliens in the Rio Grande. Let's stop the madness, stop the fentanyl. We can do it. This administration refuses to. Our job is to hold them accountable. And I don't want to hear about plans. I want to hear about policies that will secure the border now. And that's what we're here to try to find out. That was Texas Congressman Chip Roy, who was at the border earlier today with a delegation from the Republican caucus on uh, Cap- from Capitol Hill. And he joins us later here on Washington Watch. And the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, we released our annual report on the status of religious freedom internationally earlier today. The report highlights the troubling trends on religious freedom globally, recommending the Biden administration label 15 countries as countries of particular concern for engaging in or tolerating systematic, ongoing and egregious violations of religious freedom. What are these 15 countries? Did we see any improvements last year? We'll talk about that and more with my fellow commissioner, Nadine Mianza, who is currently serving as the chairwoman of the commission. And finally, is freedom of speech about to get recharged in the social media world by Elon Musk? Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, So uh, it's just really important that people have both the, the reality and the perception Uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. That was Musk uh, speaking at a TED Talk earlier this month. Uh, Musk has reached a deal to purchase Twitter. That happened earlier today. What does this mean for free speech? We'll talk with Dan Gaynor, vice president for Free Speech America and Business at the Media Research Center later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later right there at TonyPerkins.com. Our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, comes from Joshua chapter 18, verse 3. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Just as the children of Israel had to possess the land, we too have to take possession of what the Lord has given us. I invite you to join us in our two-year Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. I also invite you to join me each morning at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, for a daily devotional based upon our Bible reading plan. You can find it either at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. As I mentioned earlier today, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the case of former high school football coach Joe Kennedy, 
who was fired for praying in public on the 50-yard line after football games. Here to tell us more about what happened today at the nation's high court is FRC's Mary Sock reporting from the steps of the Supreme Court. Thanks, Tony. Just hours ago, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Kennedy versus Bramington School District, the Supreme Court case that will determine whether a high school football coach can engage in 15 seconds of prayer following a football game. During oral arguments, Justice Clarence Thomas's comments affirmed that Coach Kennedy's prayer time did not fall during his duties as coach. Paul Clement pointed out that Coach Kennedy did not compel or require any players to join him in prayer at the 50-yard line, though all were free to do so if they chose to on their own. Justices Kagan and Sotomayor showed their hostility towards religious freedom and free speech by arguing that Coach Kennedy's actions praying for 15 seconds after the game could be seen as coercive to 16-year-olds who strive to endear themselves to their teachers and coaches. As Paul Clement pointed out, however, the efforts of 16-year-olds to endear themselves to their teachers and coaches are not, in fact, limited to religious activities. If we begin to characterize Coach Kennedy's actions as coercion, we limit all free speech and freedom of religion activities of every teacher and coach. Back to you, Tony. Thanks, Mary. Well, we'll take a deeper dive into the case and today's oral arguments later in the show when I'm joined by one of Coach Kennedy's attorneys, Mike Berry of First Liberty Institute. So stick around for that. But before we do, I want to go to the border. Yesterday, Border Security Caucus co-chair Brian Babin of Texas and Republican Study Committee Chair Jim Banks of Indiana led a group of more than 100 Republican members of Congress on a letter to Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas that said his failure to secure the border and enforce laws passed by Congress raised grave questions about your suitability for office, end quote. And earlier today, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy led a smaller delegation of his colleagues to tour Eagle Pass in Texas's Del Rio sector, where they heard from officials at the front lines of the southern border crisis. And joining me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Chip Roy, who joined the delegation and also signed yesterday's letter to Secretary Mayorkas. He represents the 21st Congressional District of the Lone Star State. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, I hope you can hear me fine. I'm driving up from Eagle Pass towards San Antonio as we speak. So tell us what you saw and heard during your visit earlier today there at Eagle Pass. Well, first of all, you know, we unfortunately, uh, you know, witnessed uh, what the consequences of an open border in the uh, passing of Bishop Evans, the National Guardsman who lost his life uh, jumping into the Rio Grande trying to save the life of uh, one of the crossers. And, um, you know, uh, obviously it's, it's scripture that, uh, you know, giving your life up for another is, is uh, uh, the highest calling. And so we're, we're, you know, praying for him and his family. But what that shines the light on, Tony, is the absolute abject failure of this administration to secure the border. Now, that's nothing new, right? But I, for, for your listeners, just understand that, when we have roughly 7,000 people a day coming across the border and the administration is talking about ending Title 42, then you see what we saw, which is I was on a boat and I got out up on a cliff and there was 100 people literally coming across the river 
while I was there. Now, the downside there is that Border Patrol then has to manage that and go process them instead of patrolling the border to stop bad guys. And then you end up with things like 42 people on the terror watch list. You end up with 470 gang members that are known to be found, and then 700,000 gotaways that are filled with all sorts of bad actors. That's the reality of the border. Now, last week, uh, Secretary Mayorkas acknowledged that the planned end of the enforcement of Title 42 border expulsions in May could pose significant challenges for the U.S. government. But he stressed that his department is ready to implement the change and deal with a likely spike in migrant arrivals. What's your reaction to that, having talked to those on the front lines down there? That's an absolute... uh, uh uh, you know, total misrepresentation of the reality because there is no plan, and any plan that they would present would basically just mean that they're going to process more people coming here illegally. That's the problem, Tony. I, sh- I just want everybody to understand what's actually happening. We have a general rule, right, that it is uh, the border should be secure. We should have operational control of the border, and that you shouldn't enter our country without the proper paperwork. The only real exception to that. And it's not really an exception, but a way that you that you manage it if you're claiming asylum because you might face some sort of political or religious persecution. You're in you're in danger. And that's a very small percentage of the population, as, as you know. And yet that exception to the rule is being allowed by this administration purposefully to swallow the rule of security. So therefore, we end up with the numbers that we have now, and then the overwhelming numbers of fentanyl and the overwhelming numbers of bad actors coming to the United States, it's all stuff that you can avoid. And Title 42 is one tool. But the administration refuses to actually enforce the law using, for example, migrant protection protocols, allowing enforcement and leaving folks in Mexico while you prosecute and adjudicate their, their supposed asylum claims. If you're not willing to enforce the law, then you, we're going to have more people come to the border. Right. So now we have people from 160 countries all over the world. Border Patrol is overwhelmed. And Mayorkas is lying when he says they're going to be able to deal with the numbers if they repeal Title 42 or turn it, you know, stop enforcing it. So you really have two issues here, Chip. What you have is you have the illegal uh, aliens coming into the country you know, basically catch and release going back to the where they'll just release them into the country and hope that they show up for their court hearing. But that's just one of the issues. But that in the volume that they're coming serves as a smokescreen for the illegal activity of bringing the drugs across, trafficking human beings across the border. That stuff and those, of course, who want to do do harm to our country are using that cover as as a cover as well. That's right, Tony. Let me give you one example. You know I represent San Antonio. Last Friday, we arrested a Mexican national who had been deported 15 times, yet was still in the United States, and he was trafficking, sexually abusing a young woman, a teenage girl. She's not even a woman, a teenage girl, uh, prostituting her, putting her in the sex trafficking trade. Now, he'd been deported, supposedly, 15 times. This is because we have no serious resolve in securing our border. And you know, to, to say you're going to just stop enforcing Title 42, which, by the way, isn't just for uh, COVID, you can enforce that against all communicable diseases, which when you have people from 160 countries, there's a lot of them. But more than that, 
You just need to have the resolve to enforce the law. President Trump did that, and the numbers plummeted precipitously. When the word gets out around the world that we're not going to allow you to just come here, claim asylum, and walk in and be released, everybody gets the joke. The final point to remember is this. One million people have been released into the United States since Joe Biden has been president, give or take. You could double Border Patrol's budget, triple it, quadruple it, and I ask this question today, and as long as you're releasing people into the United States, then those numbers are going to keep going up. They're not going to go down. It doesn't matter how many people you hire. It doesn't matter what you do if you're Governor Abbott. As long as those policies are in place, they will keep flooding our country. More bad drugs will come in, more bad actors, more gangs, more cartel members, it, uh, and we continue to see Americans get hurt and migrants. It's a neon welcome sign is what it is when you don't enforce yep. uh, the law. Congressman Chip Roy, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us down there on the southern border. Look forward to seeing you back here in our nation's capital later this week. You too, brother, and keep up the fight on religious liberty, whether it's in Finland or uh, or Coach Kennedy. God bless y'all. We're going to be talking more about that. Thanks so much. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy, of course, so concerned, as we are, about what's happening in Finland with religious freedom, and he's been out very outspoken from for uh, member of parliament over there, Pave Rosanen. We're going to talk about that later. All right, folks, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to take a deeper dive in today's oral arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court over the case of Coach Kennedy. We'll talk about what happened today with attorney Mike Berry of First Liberty Institute, which is a part of the coach's legal team. So don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch still to come. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. 
At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, newsflash, pastors in the Dallas, Texas area, FRC's Watchman on the Wall is hosting a pastor's briefing this Thursday at Prestonwood Baptist Church. I'll be there. Dr. Jack Graham will be there along with uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And we'll have many others. To find out more or to register, go to watchmanpastors.org slash events. That's watchmanpastors.org slash events. Or you can go to TonyPerkins.com and get there just as fast. All right, earlier today, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the case of former high school football coach Joe Kennedy, also a, uh, by the way, a retired Marine, who was uh, fired for praying in public on the 50-yard line after football games, something that was fine at first when he did it alone, but became an issue for the school when students voluntarily began to join him. Opponents of his prayer practice called it religious coercion. Will our nation's highest court, the U.S. Supreme Court, agree with that? Well, joining me here in studio to talk about today's case, uh, the oral arguments that took place at the Supreme Court, is one of Coach Kennedy's attorneys, Mike Berry of First Liberty Institute, also a Marine. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. All right, so your take on today's oral arguments. Overall, I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, it's always hard to predict what's going to be the outcome just based on oral argument. But if I had to make a prediction, I would guess that uh, the outcome will probably be either 6-3 or possibly 5-4 in favor of Coach Kennedy, which means in favor of religious freedom. Okay, Mike, so let's step back. Now that we got that, uh, that perspective, let's step back and let's talk about, because this has been a few years. We've actually had Coach Kennedy on the program. You've been on here many times talking about this goes back quite a ways. Seven years. Yeah, seven years. Uh, give our audience uh, kind of a refresher on what this is all about. Well, this started with Coach when he was hired. Uh, before he ever coached his first football game, he watched a movie called Facing the Giants. Uh, which I assume many of uh, of our viewers have probably the seen themselves, brothers, uh, the Kendrick Sherwood, Brothers. Sherwood Films, yes. And uh, when he watched it, he said he fell to his knees and just felt convicted that if he was going to take this job as a coach, win or lose, didn't matter how the team played, that he was going to give thanks to God for the opportunity to be a coach, and mostly because he grew up in that area in Bremerton, Washington, and he, by his own account, was a very troubled youth, uh, created a lot of trouble for others, uh, particularly in the schools that he, he that he attended, and he really felt that, that that this was sort of his opportunity to make good on a lot of the bad things that he had done, 
And as Coach himself says, the ironic thing he says, of all the things that I've done in my life, the thing that got me in trouble was praying, right? And so you can't make this up. And, and uh, so he made that commitment to God that he was going to pray uh, at, at the 50-yard line when the game was over. But importantly, Tony, his commitment and his covenant was just between him and God. It didn't matter if anybody else was around or not. And then after a few months of doing this by himself, a couple of his players came up to him and asked him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just giving thanks for what just happened. And they said, well, if we're Christians, are we allowed to do this too? And he just chuckled and said, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. And this went on for years. Um, Never any issue. The school district, by their own statement, said not one complaint ever, no evidence ever of any coercion, anybody being pressured to participate. This was a good thing between coach and, and, and the Lord, and then later players began to join him, and he was, and the guidance was school employees, which includes teachers, coaches, principals, et cetera, et cetera, they're not to encourage nor discourage students from engaging in their own. So that's what he did. He just said, if you want to do it, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And, of course, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, this went on for about eight years based on a compliment from somebody from a different school who saw this happening said, I think it's great that you guys allow this coach to pray. The school district's attorneys got involved and said, well, wait a minute. We might have an issue with this. And at first, this is really important on the case, at first they told coach, we don't have a problem with you praying. You just can't pray with the players. You can't lead the the players in prayer. And coach said, that's totally fine. That's what I did in the beginning. I'm happy to go back to that. Because that's the only that's the promise I made to God. It was just between me and God, and then of course, as we know, the school district through their lawyers started moving the goalposts, saying, "Well, now we know you've complied. You're not praying with players, but now you're praying where people can see you. Right? It's public. It's visibly demonstrative prayer. We don't want you to do that." Coach served, as you said, 20 years in the Marine Corps. He fought for our freedoms. He sacrificed for our First Amendment rights. They messed with the wrong Marine, Tony, and, they, and he said, I can't do that. I can't, I can't give up the very freedoms that I was willing to die for. And all I'm asking for is the right and the ability to pray by myself 15 to 30 seconds after the game's over. The kids have already left the field. They're singing the fight song in the stands. I just want the opportunity to give thanks. And the school district said, if you do it, you're fired. And that's how we ended up in court. So, Mike Berry, what's at stake in the outcome of this case? Well, Obviously, for Coach Kennedy, and if it's just about him, it's just about his uh, the ability to get his job back as a coach with his First Amendment rights intact. But, but really, the question you're asking is, what's at stake for the rest of us? Why would the Supreme Court take a case like this? And the implications are massive. If a public school district, so a government employer, can fire somebody for doing what Coach Kennedy did, praying at the 50-yard line at the end of the game, they can prohibit a Jewish teacher from wearing a yarmulke. They can prevent a Muslim teacher from wearing a head covering. They can prevent a teacher from crossing themselves and saying a quick prayer over their salad and their square pizza before they eat in the cafeteria. It, it, it opens the door for the government to trample on the First Amendment rights of millions of Americans. And, and Mike, we're almost out of time, but that's been happening over the last several decades. Is this actually a case that can move back this this incursion into religious freedom to where we actually will get some of our freedom back? 
Absolutely. This has the opportunity to do that. There's a case called the Lemon case right. that's been on the books for years. It's never been expressly overturned by the Supreme Court. Today, and I encourage people to listen to the arguments. You can hear them online now. Some of the, quite a few of the justices said, you know, indicated that they were willing to go back to this lemon test and get rid of it for good. So this case could put the final nail in the coffin of the lemon case. That's significant. That uh, it goes back to the is that the seventies? Yes. Yeah. All right, Mike Barry. Always great to have you on the program. You guys do tremendous work. We're so thankful for you. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Be praying for the outcome of that case. We're also praying for the Dobbs case. This is a big year, and and decisions coming down from the Supreme Court that affect issues of uh, sanctity of human life and religious freedom. Some of our fundamental freedoms. Well, coming up, some breaking news out today as it was announced that Elon Musk acquired Twitter for $44 billion. Pocket change. What does that mean for the social media platform and for conservatives who have been silenced and censored? We'll talk about it next. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Just a few hours ago, Twitter announced that entrepreneur uh, uh, Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, the world's richest person, has acquired the company for $44 billion. In a statement, Musk said, quote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, end quote. And he added that he wants to make Twitter better than ever noting Twitter's tremendous potential. What might today's acquisition mean for the social media platform specifically and more generally? What might it mean for free speech and for those conservatives who have been increasingly silenced and censored 
in the social media world. Joining me now to talk about this is Dan Gaynor, Vice President for Free Speech America and Business at the Media Research Center. Dan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much. It's certainly an amazing day to do this. Well, you have been tracking this very, very closely because I've been reading your updates. What's your reaction to this afternoon's news? Well, it's impossible to see this as anything other than good news. It's not like Elon Musk is one of us and he's a you know, social conservative. He's not. He's more libertarian, but he also has been a big supporter of free speech. He's had his own issues with government regulation and people silencing him, and he doesn't much like it. And so what's amazing is for people who are not active on Twitter, even if you sort of dabble in it, here's why it matters. Twitter is the proving ground for every major discussion and issue of the day in the United States. Any politician, any tax, any debate, it all gets aired out on Twitter. And because the left has been able to silence so many conservatives and use uh, bots, of, you know, automated accounts as well, they've had control over the horizontal and the vertical for a long time now. So $44 billion, what does that buy, Mr. Musk? Well, what it buys is control. And now the question is, how much control? Because obviously he's got a bunch of left-wing employees who are freaking out right now. They're literally having an open meeting with him, I think, as we speak. And you know, so the question is, how many of them stay? How many of them try to work behind the scenes to undermine him? No matter who you are, you know, if you're a CEO, you're only as strong as the employees you have. So I don't think I expect it to change overnight. In fact, it's quite possible it might get worse for a while as he sort of jockeys for power with employees. So I guess we'll find out if Twitter has a deep state uh, that is oh. uh, working against him. I do want to bet cash money that Twitter has a deep state. The question is uh, how much uh, the powers that be at Twitter are willing to uh, put, you know, put their foot down and not allow the deep, deep state control. So what does this mean for conservatives? Is, is this a revival of the First Amendment in terms of the, 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 the public square that social media has become? Well, it's, it's interesting. Not only does uh, Elon Musk embrace the public square argument for Twitter, but a lot of liberals are now upset that, oh, a billionaire bought the public square. Well, you didn't, you didn't seem to care what a billionaire bought, oh, you know, ran uh, oh, Facebook. You don't seem to care that a billionaire runs the Washington Post or a foreign billionaire uh, got involved in the funding of the New York Times. They, they, their outrage is very selective. But that's been Elon's attitude, and I, the big question now is, does he bring back Donald Trump? Yeah, that, uh, that certainly would be a statement. Dan Gaynor, does this have implications beyond Twitter? Uh, will this force other social media uh, entities to step back and have a greater respect for, for free speech? Well, the, the social media companies have operated in concert on a lot of things, including silencing the Hunter Biden laptop story right before the election. What it does is it breaks that cartel. And, you know, if you've got one member of the cartel is not playing, maybe the others are willing to back off a little bit. So, yes, it does. It does have potential sweeping uh, impact elsewhere. But just with Twitter, 
it affects the presidential election. It affects every election in every free country in the world. So, so Dan, how long before we see some type of movement and opening back up of Twitter for free speech and expression? I'm not sure yet. I don't think there's a timeline for you know how quickly he will do things. But Elon Musk is certainly somebody who seems to embrace the old tech uh, you know slogan of "move fast and break things." So it might not be that long in the offing. And you know you can hear the scream. Uh, from anywhere in the world right now as the left is freaking out about this. You know, this sure, certainly does make the uh, the argument for free markets where we're, we're actually seeing someone who benefited from our free market system being able to purchase Twitter to return it to what it was originally built as, a place where people can have expression and talk about issues of the day. Yeah, and that's something... But remember, the left only uses free markets and free speech as you know, epithets now. They don't really believe in either. They, they believe in censoring speech. So I think the one big danger right now is a backdoor regulation. They're working with the European Union to regulate the internet. Uh, and right now, that's moving ahead. That, that might still restrain what American big tech companies do unless we pass regulations to, to counter it. All right, uh, Dan Gaynor, always great to talk with you. And uh, again, uh, great job in tracking this uh, throughout the process. Appreciate all the work that uh, you guys do over at the Media Research Center. Thank you very much. All right, folks, uh, stick with us because coming up, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, USERF, has released its 2022 annual report. And uh, I was there for the rollout today as one of the commissioners, one of the nine commissioners. We'll talk about it with the chair of USERF, Nadine Mianza, after the break. So stick around. More Washington Watch to come. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. 
Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. I encourage you to check it out. All right, attention men. FRC is hosting its next Stand Courageous Men's Conference on May 6th and 7th in High Point, North Carolina. The conference begins Friday evening and concludes Saturday afternoon. Speakers include yours truly. Also, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin will be there, Promise Keeper Speakers Stu Weber and Bishop Larry Jackson, and many, many more. To register or to find out more, go to StandCourageous.com, or you can call 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008, StandCourageous.com, or as always, you can go to ToningPerkins.com. Earlier today, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, also known as USERF, released its 2022 annual report documenting global developments and trends related to religious freedom during the year 2021. The report by the Independent Bipartisan Commission, uh, which I currently serve as commissioner, is designed to provide recommendations to enhance the U.S. government's promotion of religious freedom or belief abroad. Well, joining me now in studio to discuss the new report is the chair of USERF, Nadine Mianza. Nadine, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So let's talk about this. Fifteen countries recommended as countries of particular concern. So let's just uh, let's start with a definition of Mm -hmm. we we use these terms here. In fact, we were talking about this today at the commission hearing uh, me and uh, I don't I think it was either uh, Nuri Turkel, vice chair or Anarima Bargava, Another one of our commissioners, we were talking about how we just throw around these uh, acronyms. Right. And you know, people are like, what is that? Uh, so a CPC, <laughs> a country of particular concern, what is it? So it is um, a, a country designated by the State Department um, as meeting, according to the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998, or IRFA, we call it, that for countries that engage in or tolerate religious freedom violations that meet the definition of systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. So, so that's a, that is a top tier. That is a defined term. And it so is. there are behaviors mm-hmm. that fall under that that would put a country into that category. Exactly. And it's really um, a country that engages in these activities or tolerates it. So, so when important. we're talking about tolerate, for instance, let's just take, for instance, uh, a country that you and I care about, that the commission spent a lot of time talking about, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the Nigerian government is not necessarily engaging in this ongoing systematic and egregious violation. I mean, there's some examples of it, but more than anything else, they're tolerating it. Right. Um, they are tolerating looking away at the violence that's happening, not you know intervening. One of the richest countries in Africa, the most populous country in Africa, they have the means, the ability to stand up against these atrocities that are happening to do something about it, and they're not. But I would say that the state governments are meeting the definition of egregious, ongoing, and systematic by enforcing right. blasphemy laws. Right. And so you're good, seeing good a point. state government-led um, CPC status activities, and then you're also seeing... But, but we, as when we issue a report, it's focused on countries and not states of right. countries. So right. we, we hold Nigeria as the, the, mm-hmm. the, the national government accountable for what's happening right. at the state we level. Do. Exactly. And, and they can't, you know, um, claim they don't have the ability, which is what they're saying. They don't have the ability to stop the violence. But it doesn't appear that they, they're using all the different ways they could to stop the violence and in doing anything at all to, to move forward. Now, this has been a country of uh, particular concern for USERF commissioners right. across the board. Now, let me just, you know, I, I know our viewers and listeners are fairly familiar with USERF. We talk about it f- uh, on a fairly regular basis, but there are nine commissioners, I think eight right now because we were, we're down one or we're two. We're down one. Down one. Yep. So we have eight commissioners. It's bipartisan. And and it's it's very it's been very interesting in my four years on the commission. We have individuals of very different backgrounds, religiously, politically, ideologically. But we have for four years been focused um, very. Um, uh, I, I would say, I mean, there's been no daylight yeah. really between us when it comes to these issues of religious freedom. And in fact, again. On this issue of Nigeria, in that in the last year of the Trump administration, they took our recommendation that we've been making since 2009 that this be a country of particular concern. They declared it a CPC only last year to have it removed completely from any of the list. And the commission, with one voice, has spoken out uh, expressing concern about that. It's it's stunning that they they didn't just move it down to the special watch list, which is for the countries that meet two, but not three of those that that CPC test is they removed it entirely, which indicates, according to IRFA, the law, that there are no. And that's never happened before. No, it never happened. In 20 years, or 22 years. So saying that there are are no severe religious freedom violations. So, you know, that is a mistake, and um, it's important that we continue to fight to put that back on and that there be consequence for Nigeria. Well, I mean, mean, give give us some of the examples of what's just happened in recent weeks there in Nigeria. I mean, this is is ongoing. We hardly go through a week without hearing some uh, attack on a church, a mosque, uh, some uh, pastor that's been abducted and held for ransom. Right. I know that I'm, I know over a dozen attacks on houses of worship, 13 religious leaders kidnapped for ransom, priests, pastors, um, imams that are more moderate are even targeted. So um, we're seeing even the Muslim community that isn't going along with some of these Islamist ideas. And, um, you know, January has been a, a horrible month for Nigeria. So we don't even cover that period yet. So Things even this year yeah, already. Yeah, this is last year, and you're right. Is, are already yeah. moving in a bad um, uh, trajectory. So it's 
really important that the United States steps up and, and starts using the levers they have to push back on Nigeria and to demand that they move in a different direction and start holding these um, um, perpetrators accountable. So some of the other 15 countries, I mean, uh, China uh, on the list that, uh, you know, we, we talk about frequently, North Korea, another bad actor. Right. What are some of the other countries? Sure. Eritrea, which is one of the, the only CPC country that had some positive um, um, trajectory this year. It was pretty small, but they um, released um, quite a few um, religious prisoners, and they actually held a meeting with commissioners at USERF last summer and started engaging with us. So we did see some positive engagement, um, and we'll welcome that anytime we see that and, and hope for more. Of course, Iran continues to be um, a harsh country for religious minorities, going particularly this year after Baha'is and Christians with a lot of of arrests and, and violence against them, and um, is, is important that we use all our levers again with Iran and use. You know, I know we have the U.S. has a, a tough relationship with them, but they also have a lot of allies that have good relationships with Iran that we could also count on to stand up for religious freedom and to push them to, to intervene for those that are being arrested because of their faith. What other countries have we seen kind of a, a lot of the countries of these fifteen? It's mm-hmm. just kind of status quo, kind of the same from last year, but. Have there are there some some countries where things have gotten worse? You know, most of the countries in our report have gotten worse, um, actually. And the ones that stayed the same are countries like North Korea and Iran, that are that were already among the worst in the world. So they stayed among the worst in the world. So um, we have unfortunately seen um, things trending in the wrong direction. We have had some bright spots, though. And I've been told that in previous um, years with these USERF reports, it's all been negative and there haven't been any bright spots. So the fact that we have countries like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, working to move towards religious freedom. Last uh, um, reporting cycle, we took off poverty and they've stayed off our report. So well, we been took Sudan off, too. Sudan. Now, unfortunately, they've, uh, with the military coup, we're, we're watching worried that Worried about carefully. how things will go yeah. for them, of course. And so, you know, and of course, the, the um, Central African Republic, we'd taken off. Right. And now we put them back on again because of the, the government themselves have been engaging in um, crimes like killing, kidnapping. And Egypt is a country, they're not, we're recommended for a, a tier two or second, uh, the watch list. Um, in years past, in the last few years, they've been making progress, but they just not the getting few. over the top. Right. They were one of the few that was a positive, that made a trajectory. They released some prisoners. And they, they showed some openings, some positive um, actions. And, of course, you know, they engage with us. And, and like you said, we've, we've seen this potential Right. In, in Egypt. In, 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 in President al-Sisi, who I've met with a couple of times, uh, I think he is genuine. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think from his religious background, I think he understands a little bit about persecution. But uh, and I think he is opening, trying to be more open in Egypt. And he's made some really strong symbolic gestures. But it just hasn't filtered down into their policies and laws. It hasn't. And what we're seeing is, is you know, so many of these these countries and a lot of the advisors around him and people in government, you know, they have this belief that if you clamp down on government, you keep things safer. If you, or religious communities, it'll keep things right. safer. If you make it so that nothing changes, it'll be less. And, and that's the opposite of actually. Well, let's talk about that, Nadine Manzuk. I want to talk about that because we spend a lot of time talking about religious freedom, both domestically and in our foreign policy. Why does it matter? What, what right. difference does it make? It goes beyond a lot more than just 
an individual's ability to worship as they choose that has ramifications for a lot of uh, a lot of different areas of society it does in countries that have religious freedom tend to be more peaceful more stable more t- and and you're seeing like a country like Syria where religious freedom has never been at the table for Syria when in US policy in Syria so you end up with a, a a political solution that has no legitimacy with the people because religious freedom is interconnected with all the other rights and so if you're not prioritizing religious freedom, there's a very good chance there are no other human rights being prioritized. And you have a situation where um, there is no way forward to have the legitimacy of the people, that, that you, you need those kind of conditions. So it's in the U.S.'s best interest, even if we're only thinking about ourselves, and this right. is not even thinking about the people that get to practice their faith, it helps us to have better allies, to have a more peaceful um, countries to interact with. So it's in our best interest for us to be advocating for these kind of changes. I mean, there there is now kind of um, very robust uh, studies that show the connection between religious freedom, as you made reference to economic stability, mm-hmm. social stability, and domestic tranquility. And right. so, as you said, if if a, if a country is more stable... Like, for instance, you know, Ukraine and what we see happening there, I think, in fact, we've talked about this on the program. I think that was a part of the incentive that mm-hmm. uh, Putin had to move on Ukraine because Ukraine had embraced religious freedom right. and tolerance, and that was beginning to benefit the country. Right. And he didn't want to see them successful. And in the areas that Russia had already invaded, like Donbass and Crimea, you'd already seen a deterioration removing religious freedom. You know, only um, the Russian Orthodox Church could practice. And um, some of the religious leaders had even been killed in some of those areas. So you're definitely seeing him, Russia bringing with them some horrific conditions that if right. those spread, it's, it's going to affect. This is no uh, newsflash to, to you, Surf, that's been recommending um, CPC status for Russia for quite some time now. And last year was one of the best surprises is when the U.S. government answered our recommendation for years by adding Russia to the CPC list. So that's a new addition for them. Because, you know, some of you kind of get stuck in these time warps where you go back and, mm-hmm. you know, after the fall of the the Berlin Wall and the opening of uh, Eastern Europe, you, you began to see religious freedom spread. And a lot of people, I mean, in the United States, you had missionaries going over there. Right. You had people over there. It was religious freedom. Uh, that door has slammed shut. And right. you've seen behind that door now for the last decade uh, a very aggressive uh, religious intolerance taking place toward religious minorities. And now that's being exported across their border into Ukraine yep. and any place that Russia's footsteps is going to bring this religious intolerance. And we're also seeing them change the laws to make it harder for religious communities to practice their faith, make it harder to register churches, made it harder for, for people to come in from foreigners to help um, with religious communities. So, you know, we're seeing it uh, on, on the harassment side, but you're also seeing on the legal side, which which really institutionalizes these kind of um, violations. So, Nadine, I'm going to ask you a, a question kind of separate from the 2022 report. And by the way, folks, um, I, I believe we have a link at the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you, uh, if you like some nice reading, you can read our annual report. In fact, we changed the report over the last four years to make it more concise 
And it's each uh, country is about two pages. Right, about 1,800 words. Yeah, yeah. so we've, we've kind of reduced it down so you can get the, the kind of the meat of it and see where these uh, particular countries stand on religious freedom. So if you like that, uh, you, can, you can actually download a PDF of it. But uh, the question I want to ask you, Nadine, you and I have served uh, simultaneously on the commission. We both roll off uh, uh, in May. What's been your greatest... I guess, surprise and the, the greatest thing that has brought you satisfaction serving on the commission? Wow. <laughs> I think one of the, the, the greatest surprises, well, first of all, the bipartisan work we've done together has to be the highlight um, in, in, in how in Washington, D.C., we can sit by Democrats, people with different uh, beliefs and all, like you said, with, with no di- daylight between us fight for these causes. You know, I think I never understood how difficult it was for the U.S. government to hold their allies accountable. And that seems to be the, the hardest nut to crack in some respects when you think of, of countries like Turkey, like India, um, like um, Egypt. Um, it, it's, the administrations always pull back away from holding them accountable because it's harder. And, and, and I think the other thing I've learned being here is seeing the limitations of government, like government-to-government interaction, user-to-government interaction. You know, it's a powerful and sometimes a necessary thing. But it's not sufficient. You have to have civil society. And you look at a place like Egypt, you need to have people working in the communities to explain, to educate why religious freedom matters, to help change the conditions on the ground. And so it's really a combination. In northeast Syria, they changed religious freedom conditions on the ground. It wasn't just top down. It was top down and bottom up. And so I think you have to have both of those things going on, which you do right now in Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. So places like that where you're seeing changes, you're seeing it from bottom bottom up, top down. And that, to me, was was a kind of a, a, a realization from sitting where I do. Yeah, it just, uh, government moves at the rate of molasses. It just <laughs> moves just so slow. For government, you've got to move without yeah. it. That's right. Nadine, always great to talk with you. Thank Thanks you. so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, I would echo her sentiments that uh, the bipartisanship that we've found around this issue of religious freedom has been quite encouraging. Folks, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.